Orange here on KUCI 88.9 FM. And if you haven't heard from my entry music there, things are a little different here on Vintage Orange this afternoon. We are in the Tiki Room. Yes, one of my very favorite places in Disneyland, the Tiki Room. It was actually born the same year that I was in 1963. And uh, so I always feel a little bit of affinity with the Tiki Room. We've both had a little work done over the years and we're both still here making people smile. So <laughs> so Tiki, we're all about Tiki Rooms today and my that's a perfect introduction for my guest. Uh, Chris Jepson is here. Hello, Chris. I love the topic. Uh, we're, co- we're talking about the Tiki culture in Orange County and your new exhibit. Chris, tell me about the new exhibit at Chapman University that's opening tomorrow, right? Uh, well, yeah, it's actually kind of already open. Oh, okay. um, it's been open for a little while, but we're uh, having really the first kind of internal gathering for uh, staff and faculty at Chapman University, which is where the exhibit's being held. And then the big kickoff opening is going to be on March 4th. And that's the one I'd encourage people to go to. It's it's going to be open to the public. Um, We're going to have... uh, in addition to the exhibit itself being open on a Saturday, which you know Chapman isn't normally going to have that open on on Saturdays, uh, we're all, we're also going to have a tiki carver at work. We're going to have Dole Whip for the Disneyland fans. We're oh. going to have appetizers and drinks that are appropriate for a tiki establishment. And I'll be doing a program that will kind of expand on the exhibit, and we may have a few other surprises too. That's so. Awesome. Uh, um, I, you know, if, if people are interested in coming, and I, we can, I can kind of recap this at the end. But I, um, I'm, we're asking people to RSVP on Facebook, and there's a link on my blog, which is tikilagoon.blogspot.com, and uh, people can scroll down there to the the entry for that. And, That's, uh, that sounds so fun. You had me at Dole Whip. That's totally, <laughs> that's what just sealed the deal for me. I love the Dole Whip. That's awesome. Well, yeah, there's a great, there's some folks <laughs> down in uh, Huntington Beach that have a, a business called the uh, Hula Girls Shave Ice. And really? they've, they've uh, agreed to come and, uh, and help sponsor the event. And <laughs> so they'll have some, uh, they'll be, they'll be bringing their Dole Whip machine. Awesome. So. Well, I'll be there. Well, well, I want to hear more about, before we get into the exhibit specifically, I mean, sure. tell me what what is tiki culture in general, and what I, I you know beyond the tiki room at Disneyland. Tell me a little bit about the history of this cultural phenomenon. Sure, sure. It's uh, you know in the United States on the mainland on the mainland here, um, this really starts growing. You know, it's it's turn of the century. It's it's nineteen. It's uh, teens and twenties. There's this growing interest in the islands. This isn't, this isn't the period we think about with, mm-hmm. with Tiki. But, you know, you, if you think back to the 20s and everybody you know, playing ukulele songs and, and that sort of thing, and, and this Hapahali music and um, that sort of thing, uh, it's already starting bamboo bars being built and, and that kind of thing. It ramps up into the 30s and um, a guy named Ernest Gant um, who changes his name to Don the Beachcomber, ah. starts a place in Hollywood. And, of course, he can bring in set designers and, and what have you from Hollywood to really do the place up. And he really, between inventing the combination of uh, the drinks, he invents a bunch of the, the, the key drinks that are still part of the uh, 
uh, whole tiki bar phenomena. He invents the look and feel of a tiki bar or restaurant. He invents uh, a lot of the food that's served there. He kind of sets the framework for all of this, and this is in the 1930s. Okay. And a guy named uh, well, a guy named Vic Bergeron is running a, a restaurant, uh, well, bar up in uh, in. Uh, uh, the Bay Area called Hinky Dinks comes down, sees the success, the incredible success that Don the Beachcomber is having, takes that formula and pretty much goes uh, goes back up, goes up, changes the name of his bar to Trader Vicks, and he helps spread that whole phenomena. Um, but uh, you know, so this is going already in the 30s. All of the frameworks built for this, and then we get to World War Two and. It's uh, suddenly, uh, you know, middle America is now exposed to a part of the world that was completely uh, unknown to most. Um, and they were learning the names of these island chains. They were learning all about the South Pacific by reading the news, listening to the radio. Um, very much the way we've learned a lot about uh, Afghanistan and, and Iraq in more recent years. Um, we know a lot of place names we didn't know before, and we've heard about different people who live there. And um, it, was an, it was an educational experience, and we had a lot of guys who, you know, millions of guys who were over there and came back. And, uh, you know, after the war, these guys, they remembered their, uh, you know, their being on leave in Hawaii. And, you know, they remember, um, you know, uh, some of the places they were stationed. And, well, yes, it, it was a war. Uh, and, and there was an awful lot of ugly that went on there, uh, obviously. There was... There were also things that they liked and remembered about parts of their time uh, in the military. And so there was a familiarity both on the part of those who were on the home front and the people who were, were uh, had been sent overseas. And they come back, and the next thing you know, you've got big hit bestsellers uh, like uh, uh, Michener's Tales of the South Pacific, um, which becomes a hit musical, which becomes a hit movie, mm-hmm. which becomes a hit record, which becomes, you know, uh, and and uh, Thor Heyerdahl with his book Contiki, another bestseller that um, starts positing some anthropological theories. Uh, but these things are more and more, you add those elements to what was already happening in the 30s with uh, Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vicks, and and you, there are there are other elements that come into play, and I'll get into that in the exhibit. But uh, these are some of the building blocks for mm, we're now our eyes are turned to that part mm-hmm. of the world, mm-hmm. and while we still don't have a grasp of it, a really good grasp of it, a, a good cultural understanding of much of that part of the world. Americans are interested in it and start bringing that home. And, you know, if you had a wonderful wonderful retirement party at Trader Vic's, which is the nicest restaurant in town, uh, maybe you want to bring some of that home with you. Maybe Mm -hmm. you want your backyard done in a luau theme. Um, And then the next thing, and maybe when you're looking for a hotel to stay at while you're visiting Disneyland, hey, look, there's one in in a Hawaiian theme, or there's the Samoa Motel, or, wow, it's 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 almost like 
staying at one of these places. It's almost like going to Hawaii. And well, that's the other thing is Hawaii was becoming the big, you know, fantasy vacation location. That was wherever you said, where do you want to go? Where's your dream vacation? People were saying, you know, the islands. So, right. And, oh. and for so many people um, in other parts that, like you'd said, GIs who had been over there, they come back. But they come back to places like the Midwest, Chicago, places like that where they can't really afford to get on a plane and go back and vacation in Hawaii. And right. so they are trying to kind of recapture a little bit about that. And so uh, a more inexpensive way to get a little bit of that exotic um, escapism is to go to tiki restaurants. And right. Or and, and, when, and once you've done that, then, you know, why not build your dream tiki bar in your basement? Yep. So you've got your, here you are in your basement in Chicago. Yep, we had one of those, by the way. Were you there? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> hey, what do you have left? Because I'd love to see that. That's true. <laughs> Anything of it left? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. But uh, it's interesting to me, though, Chris, because it's, it, it's all about fun. I mean, that's why this is such a, an interesting topic, because it's a pretty lighthearted look at history. It was a celebration of something that was um, fun, entertainment, light. This wasn't trying to really, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't really trying to go after realism so much. It was trying to go after the fantasy of what Tiki was Right, like. right. And, and that, that's an important point to make. I, I think the, uh, when you look at American Tiki, at what we were uh, putting forward as this is, uh, this is uh, the, the tiki culture. Uh, this is you know the art in these tiki establishments, whether it's Disneyland's Adventureland or mm-hmm. Trader Vic's or somebody's backyard, you know, luau grounds. Um, we took an amalgam of the little bits and pieces we knew from all across this huge region of the world and kind of mashed them all together took a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of the other thing. And admittedly, there was very little published on this. You can see how few books were published on this subject, and that was really people's you know, entry into this, if they really wanted to look at it seriously. There were a couple books out on the art of the South Pacific, and you can see all through the art that was created here on the mainland during that time period how it all relates back to those books. You can turn to that you know, one page or another and go, oh, look, here's <laughs> this is on page 125 of this book. Um, so there's that. And then, and this is what I think is the interesting part, is we take all these bits and pieces that we're borrowing from cultures, all from you know uh, Malaysia to New Guinea to Hawaii to Tahiti to you know uh, all over, um, and then we bring something new to it. We bring creativity. The individual artists bringing their own creativity, and sometimes just totally out there ideas because they don't really know. They're not anthropologists who have spent years in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they don't have access to all the information we now have on the Internet. They were kind of operating in a vacuum, so they took what they had and they brought their all these other influences they already had, modern art, cubism, <clears throat> even cartoons mm-hmm. came into play. Um, 
And so you end up with this whole new mix. And I kind of liken it to jazz. I mean, people say, oh, well, this is cultural appropriation. And, well, yes, of course it's cultural appropriation. But in the United States, everything we have in our culture is cultural appropriation. Everybody's from some place. To some degree, yeah. That's uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and you're borrowing, you know, if you look at, you look at jazz, and you say, oh, it's the most American art form. It's the most American music. Well... Okay, yes, but look at the, all the sources it borrows from. Mm-hmm. Look at African music. Look at the music of the Caribbean. Look at you know. Look at the things it borrows from, and yet people bring their own creativity, their own imagination, their own new set of tools um, to make it something new and different. And that's you know we do that in all aspects of yeah, our culture, yeah, from that's... food. To <laughs> I like the jazz analogy. I like that a lot because it is kind of like uh, you have the different architects, the different designers, the Mm -hmm. different chefs, restaurateurs, entertainers, all kind of riffing on this similar theme, but bringing their own modern and very American uh, view on things and adding Mm -hmm. that to the mix. And so if I were, we generally think of tiki culture, the big, um, really the, the, the heyday of tiki culture in this country as being a mid-century thing. And yeah, 50s and 60s, it reaches its peak. I, I would say late 50s, early 60s is when we're just, just <laughs> tenaciously tikiing away. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm going to go into, if I get back in the Wayback Machine and I go back to, you know, 1955 um, tiki restaurant, walking into an establishment, uh, what were there kind of some signature things that you would find, you know, these are the classic elements of a tiki restaurant or a tiki bar? What would sure. I find? Oh, well, you would have, well, it would be dark for a start. <laughs> it would be dark and atmospheric and not much in the way of windows, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, think dark woods, think things lit with, you know, it should have this sort of flotsam and jetsam look. Uh, uh, Trader Vic and Don the Beachcomber were going for this look where they were, they were they'd created characters uh, for themselves and they played those characters mm-hmm. and those characters were these jets you know these, these world traveling traders that would brought back interesting curios from every port around the world so you'll find a bunch of nautical stuff you'll mm-hmm. find um, Japanese fishing floats and fish traps and stuff hanging from the ceiling and turned into lamps you'll find um, uh, you know bits of you know, big cargo crates or, or what have you, uh, you know, fish netting, things like that uh-huh. uh, used as part of the decor. Um, and, of course, tiki's. And oddly enough, neither Don nor Vic figured out tiki's on their own. <laughs> that comes later. There's a guy, there's an actor, sort of a C-movie actor named Stephen Crane in Hollywood who starts his own place called the Luau in Beverly Hills. And he uses that same Don Vic formula for creating a restaurant, but he brings in tiki's and these these carved figures, and that's really that's the last missing last piece that was missing. Uh-huh. But yeah, so you walk into a tiki bar, they're going to have usually well, they were going for exotic. The idea was you walk in and you get this feeling like you're. You've escaped. You're, you're outside your daily normal world. It is kind of like you've gone to, to, to some exotic corner of the globe that, uh, uh, that, that you haven't been to before, and there's a little bit of mystery about mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you'd have, uh, and they wanted food that evoked some other part of the world, but they didn't want it to be too unfamiliar or people wouldn't order it. <laughs> so the big thing was usually you go into these places and, you know, you know the old style, um, mostly Americanized Cantonese Chinese cuisine sure. mm-hmm. you know, that, that most Chinese restaurants used to serve uh, here in the States. Well, that was largely, that was the basis for most menus in these places. Um, But they'd often give them slightly more interesting, uh, exotic-sounding names and give you a wedge of pineapple on the side of the plate. And, uh, but then they would invent other things, too. Um, uh, Don the Beachcomber, who one of the reasons he used rum in all his drinks is uh, it was affordable at the time. It was easy to get and affordable when he started out in business. And uh, he, d- he applied that same thing to the food, that same idea. It's like, well, what can we get that's cheap that we can turn into something we can sell as a delicacy or an exotic food? So he invented rumaki, which is, you know, you wrap some chicken livers, which were dirt cheap, around um, uh, like water chestnuts. And oh, now it's a it's an exotic dish, and it sounds uh, a lot better than chicken livers. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, probably wouldn't so, sell. And then you've got the drinks, and most of those are rum based. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I I should emphasize this is that uh, as the whole tiki thing wound down and got you know degraded, let's say as you go into the seventies and certainly by the eighties, it's there's not much left, and it's pretty bad. The the drinks in tiki bars got a really bad rap because they had gone downhill during those years, too. And people remember, you know, like I did once, I remember bringing a group of people in for a tour. I was doing a, a, driving a tiki tour, and uh, we got to uh, what was still Sam's Seafood at that point down in, in Sunset Beach. And people got out, and they went, oh, well, hey, we're here. Let's order a Mai Tai. We're at a tiki bar. And, well, it had been a long time since it had they'd really had the vibe. They do again now, but then yeah. at that point it was they were at a low ebb and Sam Seafood they went up to the they went up to the bartender and they ordered and they say the bartender says, Hmm, a Mai Tai, that's like um that's like vodka oh, in no. a, in Hawaiian For punch, shame. right? Not at Sam Seafood they would ask you that. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> they they'd they'd slipped an awful lot and clearly people weren't ordering Mai Tais. Um, very often anymore by that point. So, but now there's uh, been a revival. We oh my gosh! Yes, tiki, there tiki is. Tiki is back, and that's good news for us. And so, uh, you know, what do you think was the cause of that? What do you think is bringing tiki back? Well, I think you know, a it was uh, people really enjoyed it the first time around. It um, and it had so many facets that I think that kind of gave it the legs to be able to come back. You know, if you don't like the drinks then and the food, then there's the the decor. If you don't like the decor, there's architecture. I mean, drive around Orange County and look at housing tracts and apartments. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of that around. If you don't like that, then there's the enchanted tiki room and, and amusement park attractions. If you don't like that, there's music um, that goes with all of this. Um, there's clothing. There's... It... it, it 
whatever aspect of it you might like, there's something for everybody. There's, there's people who make art, there's people who buy art, there's people who do wood carving, there's people who paint, there's people who make things out of shells. It, it, it's this uh, place where creative people can be creative. Well, and it certainly and, fits the Orange County um, scene. You know, it's definitely appropriate for uh, coastal Orange County. I mean, we have, uh, you know, Don Beachcombers still there in Huntington Beach. Right. We were always a hub for this. Yeah. I mean, uh, L.A. and Orange County because we had the climate for it. Sure. This all went with our outdoor Southern California mm-hmm. lifestyle. And, you know, having a lanai instead of a patio uh, was, you know, just fit in beautifully yes. with that. And wearing Hawaiian shirts year-round. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that anybody's that crazy, but... Um, <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some not. Oh, um, but, you know, yeah, so it, we, that was already there. And yeah. uh, at some point, this I mean, this dies out. 70s, 80s, I, you know, to a large degree, we'd just done it to death. We had, you know, it had infused every corner of popular culture. And, uh, but starting, I'm going to say, early 90s, um, there's a handful of guys up in L.A. who are young. They're actually into the punk scene more than anything. And um, they start discovering all these you know, oh, look, there's tiki's behind the shrubs of my apartment complex. And, oh, look, there's tiki's over here. And there's a this crazy, weird restaurant that's still left over. We should go check that out. And these handful of urban archaeologists um, uh, kind of start poking around and trying to fig- get their arms around this. And luckily, there are a bunch of guys who really go to town with this. You've got one of them ends up being the historian Sven Kirsten. Uh, one of them is a guy named Otto von Stroheim, who is uh, ends up uh, publishing uh, a magazine that's really uh, seminal to the whole Tiki revival. It's called Tiki News. And he just starts cranking it out at home, you know, just, it's a zine, as, a, as they call them, you know, you, you staple together these things on your own and, mm-hmm. and run them off on a photocopier, but it just grew, and it was a place for people to gather and share ideas and realize, hey, I'm not the only one who's interested in this stuff, mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of grew from, from that, you know, mid-90s, that's about when I... I was already going around photographing some of this stuff and didn't realize other people were doing it <laughs> until I stumbled across, you know, one of the earlier issues of Tiki News and went, oh my gosh, there's there's other people. I'm not alone. Uh, and <laughs> it, it has continued to to grow over the years and with and now we've got new tiki places like you know trader sam's at disneyland hotel uh, um, uh, opening we've got old ones that have been closed like the royal hawaiian and laguna beach opening up again i mean yes. that had been there since the 40s and yeah, you know that. it had been boarded up for quite a while and now somebody's coming in and, and starting over um and and we've got places like sam's seafood which is one of the it's one of the last remaining big tiki palaces in the country, which was a big thing at one point, and now we've got one of the last ones left. Um, when that was on its last legs, um, a guy named Art Snyder came in and um, bought, you know, he had the name, he had the rights to the name uh, Don the Beachcomber, and he bought the place and turned it into a Don the Beachcomber, and he didn't, to his credit, mess up what was there. Mm-hmm. He just cleaned it up and then added to it, filled in the holes. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so, you know, it's it's coming back. We, we have two 
Now, in Orange County, we have two com- uh, swap meets that meet sometimes monthly. Uh, it's kind of quasi-monthly. Um, uh, one at the Garden Grove Elks Lodge um, called the International Tiki Marketplace, and one at uh, at Don the Beachcomber called the Tiki Makeke. And there, there, you know, all these you know, hundreds of people uh, come in and swap and trade and buy and sell and and it's a big thing and and down in San Diego every year we've got um this huge event which Otto von Stroheim runs called um uh called Tiki Oasis and you get thousands and thousands of people from all over the country come to that. So that it's wonderful. So it's, Tiki is alive and well. <laughs> alive and well in Orange County. And, and we can find out about it at your exhibit, uh, Chris Jepson from the Orange County Historical Society. This, this exhibit that is running now through the summer, is that right? Yeah, it ends on August 25th. But, I, but if you want the Dole Whip, which I know you do... You need to go to your open house event that you're having on March the 4th, Saturday, March 4th, um, from 4.30 to 6.30 there at Chapman University. And to be able to kind of RSVP or let you know that they're coming, check out your Facebook page. Is that right, Chris? Um, you could do that. Yeah, I've got links there, and I've also got links on uh, on my uh, my blog tikilagoon.blogspot.com. Oh. Yep, check so that out. So those are those are both good ways to do it. It's going to be in the in the library building there. So awesome, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for my little, in, in spite of my technical hiccups, uh, one of these <laughs> days I'll get that right. But um, no but problem. thanks again. I always love having you on the show here on Vintage Orange, and thank you to, for listening. Uh, here on KUCI 88.9 FM. This is Ellen Bell, and I will see you next week. Aloha. (laughs) 